Good morning, listeners. You're welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this morning are Leonard Betts from Chagas. I will also be talking to Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmer's Journal, from Norma Rowan from Embrace Farm, and my final guest this morning will be Lucy Lamb from the Green Sheep Cafe in Thurless. My first guest this morning, listeners, is Leonard Betts, and Leonard is an advisor for this signpost programme, and he's attached to the Clonmel office, and he covers the whole of South Tipperary as far as the signpost programme is concerned. Good morning, Leonard, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Leonard, you want to talk about some of the measures that will help farmers to reduce emissions. Correct, correct, Jim. So across all the enterprises, the kind of 12 actions we're asking farmers to undertake, they're actions that will add uh, further profits to the enterprise, but they'll also reduce emissions at farm level. So across all the enterprises, uh, there's actions they can do to reduce emissions. And can you now go through those actions for us so that we'll be reminding farmers some of them might have forgotten uh, some of the things that they can do that will reduce emissions on the farm? Correct. So on the animal enterprises, your beef, your sheep, your dairy, there's kind of three common ones where we're asking farmers uh, to use protected urea, apply lime and improve soil fertility. And then on the animal side of the house, principally we're saying we basically want the same output from less animals. So basically remove the less efficient animals. And then the tillage side of the house is obviously mainly uh, fertilisers and growing, say, legume crops or cover crops or chopping straw, basically to uh, enhance soil fertility and reduce emissions overall. Let's start with, with, the, with the animal ones. I suppose we're well versed now with low emission slurry spreading. That's virtually a given across the whole county at the moment. Correct. Derogation farmers uh, have to do it. And any farmers uh, stocked uh, above 130 kilos of organic nitrogen last year have to spread with low emission slurry this year. Uh, so that's the idea that is they reduce their chemical nitrogen usage which is reducing emissions. Uh, we're saying to farmers, yeah, get more output from less numbers, less stock numbers going forward, just obviously mm-hmm. less of a carbon footprint. Uh, so that's basically on the milking side of things, going through your milk recording records and pulling out the, the, the marginal cows, basically, I suppose the cows that maybe they aren't yielding as well. So mm-hmm. are they actually leaving profit at the end of the day? Possibly not. Uh, on, on on average, mm-hmm. so there's less, there's more grass then for the cows that are left. So their output comes up, and the same on the beef side of things. You know, carrying animal over that's not in calf, they're actually doing nothing for the year, just just causing uh, more emissions uh, and not adding, adding any, anything in terms of profit to the enterprise. Uh, so that's the animal side of the house. Mm-hmm. The fertiliser side of the house, then, we're saying soil fertility. We're saying grass is your cheapest feed. Like, what's the alternative other than silage mm-hmm. and meal? Both are more expensive. So to grow grass, you have to feed it. To feed it, you must give it lime, you must give it potash, you must give it phosphate. So that doesn't happen by accident. So plan has to be put in place to soil sample your farm and follow the fertiliser plan you're given. 
in order to, to achieve greater output of grass or grain for, for the tillage farmer. Protected urea is a product that we want farmers to use uh, regardless of enterprise. It's one of the big players. We want farmers to reduce their overall emissions by 25% by 2030. That's part of the government's climate action plan. And protected urea is basically a third of the answer. So if farmers switched in the morning to using all protected urea, that would get 7 or 8% of the 25. So it's massive. By default, it happens to be the cheapest fertilizer out there. So today, can is probably about 400 a ton. Uh, protected urea is about 550 a ton. So on a cost per kilo of nitrogen basis, can is about 20% dearer than protected urea. And can causes more emissions and can also has issues with water quality. The nitrate in the can, half, half of the can product is in the nitrate form and that product nitrate is water soluble. So once, once it rains, that product is vulnerable to leaching and causing water quality issues. And you, everyone knows with the derogation where, where we're at, we need water quality to at least stabilize or preferably improve going forward if you want to hold on to the derogation. Ordinary urea as a product farmers are maybe already using and are reluctant to switch to protected urea because it's maybe 50 or 60 euros one extra. But with the inhibitor that's added to protected urea, you're capturing about 12% more nitrogen that's not going up to the sky because the inhibitor is added. So that extra nitrogen you're capturing, it's covering it's it, it's covering the extra cost that you're paying per ton. So it's fully justified, but you must cut back the rate of the fertilizer if you're using protected urea versus ordinary urea because you've captured 10 or 12% extra units. So in simple terms, if you're spreading, say, 20 units of ordinary urea, Mm-hmm. you'll cut it back to 17 or 18 units of protected urea because you have extra units uh, in essence mm-hmm. that aren't going up to the sky. Now, ordinary urea, uh, with perfect conditions for ordinary urea, such as, I suppose, no wind, no sun and wet soil, uh, the emissions are reduced, obviously, but it's so hard to get those perfect conditions. So in the spring, would be the normal advice to use ordinary urea, mm-hmm. but Chagas Research is finding that it's so hard to get those perfect conditions, even in spring, that there's losses of ammonia. So really we're at the stage, protected urea is a product you can use all year round and you're not worried about the weather. So a lot of farmers using contractors, he comes into the yard, the sun comes out, the wind wakes up. If you have ordinary urea in the yard, expect that you're going to lose a significant portion of that. Whereas with protected urea, you don't have those issues. So, and it's cheaper. So that's yeah. the big one. That's overall, a big one. Yeah, that is a big one. Can I ask you something else as we're talking about uh, nitrogen? Uh, I think we we now know that a farmer, can, instead of going out to buy chemical fertilizer, that they can use slurry, and that there's quite a bit of nitrogen in the slurry as well, and that of course cuts back the cost to the farmer of buying. Does that nitrogen that's in slurry, is that friendly to the environment? Yeah, very much so. But the exa- mm. same principles with yeah. whether it's chemical fertilizer or organic, it's r- the right rate at the right time. So I suppose like this time of year, now uh, the week we've had mm-hmm. with, uh, ideal uh, conditions, you'd say, ground, ground is trafficable for machinery. But ground temperatures 
are not conducive to growth. So any farmers that are spreading slurry at the moment, they're only, they should only be spreading enough to, from a storage point of view to buy them another couple of weeks when growth rate, say in early February, you'd expect it to be milder and, and growth more likely to be happening. So I'd be only putting out the minimum minimal quantity at the moment in order to buy yourself an extra few weeks from trying to do a story storage. You're not putting out story today to grow grass. You're really putting it out because you have to because your your tank is full. Yeah, I and it's interesting that you should say that because I've read earlier this week that that is the advice that Chagas are giving uh, farmers this particular week as well. So you have mentioned it as well. Any other issue out there with regard that farmers should be looking looking at other uh, measures to where they can cut down on emissions? Well, yeah, well, uh, on the nitrogen side, we want farmers to use protected urea. Mm. And we say protected urea with, with a bit of sulfur, a bit of potash. There's yeah. loads load of different products available because the, the nitrogen works better, so it, it pays for itself. In terms of P and K, we're asking farmers to use 18, 6, 12, 10, 10, 20, 07, 30 type products. They're the yeah. most cost-effective way of getting out P and K, and they're large quantities. The pasture swards or cut swards, 27, 2.5, 24, 2.5, 10, uh, the P and K levels are just too low. And then the nitrogen form is not, a, not a, in a, a stable form. So mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's more losses with it. So basically, we want farmers to use the protected urea for, for nitrogen and 18, 6, 12, 10, 10, 20 type products uh, for, for P and K. Right. But okay. lime, lime is the big one in the background. They must rectify that as well. Uh, if that's not right. Nothing will work as well. And what about the tillage crops that use that use quite a lot of mineral fertilizer? I'm looking at, and there's quite a lot of them growing in temporary potatoes. I can remember from my days growing potatoes, we were putting out up to a half ton of fertilizer, uh, you know, per acre at that particular time. Yes, yes. So I suppose across all enterprises. Mm-hmm we're seeing more efficient use of fertilizers and that's achieved through basically background soil fertility. So basically a farmer, whatever his crop is growing, he can reduce the chemical nitrogen usage if the P, K and sulfur and lime is right. So one of the, me- one of the measures for tillage farmers is that they, they apply sulfur. Right. Uh, that's a measure on its own. Uh, and cover crops obviously uh, that's retaining mm-hmm. nitrogen and helping to reduce chemical nitrogen requirements. Uh, legume crops the same. Uh, so splitting nitrogen applications, mm-hmm. you know, uh, again, to help, help losses. So there's a number of actions farmers can take to help themselves to reduce costs, help the environment from a water quality view, and help the environment from a emissions point of view. Okay, well, look, at I'm running out of time. I'm quite sure you have a lot of other things you would like to talk to me about, but I'm quite sure that you and I will be speaking again in the not-too-distant future. So, for this Jim, can I just mention you there's can. a tillage seminar next Thursday morning at 11 o'clock in the Chagas office in Nina. So, uh, Conor Cavanagh is the local tillage advisor. So, that's uh, a local event in North Tipperary next Thursday, the 25th at 11 a.m. in the Nina office. Everyone, everyone is welcome. Okay, well, thanks for that as well, Leonard. That listeners was Leonard Betts, who is the signpost uh, advisor for South Tipperary. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Pat O'Toole. 
and Pat, as you know, is the political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. And over the past number of weeks, Pat has had some very, very interesting articles in the journal, long reads, really good long reads. But one of them has got to do with the political scene that may emerge in Ireland sometime later this year or definitely early next year. So Pat and I are going to have a little discussion about that. Good morning, Pat, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Uh, no problem. OK, now, Pat, can you ever tell my listeners all that lovely uh, research that you did on the Irish political scene? Well, I suppose, where do we start? First of all, we have, we're guaranteed two elections this year. In June, on June the 9th, I think it is, um, we go to the polls for the local and the European elections. And we have uh, radically different constituencies at, at general election level, but the local elections are pretty much unchanged from last time around. Uh, but the, the local election regions no longer fit the constituencies. As part of Kilkenny, uh, now in Tipperary, half of Wexford is, and half of Wicklow have been thrown together. There's been a lot of changes around the country. <clears throat> the local elections will be very important in terms of gauging uh, the strength of some of the plethora of new parties that have come along. The Farmers' Alliance, <clears throat> on Friday, the Electoral Commission announced that the Farmers' Alliance had been registered formally as a political party. They passed the thresholds that the Electoral Commission require, which includes the names of 300 registered members. Mm -hmm. um, and in so doing, the Farmers' Alliance become the 29th political party in the country. We've had four in the last five months registered. The 100% Redress Party relating to MICA registered in September. Independent Ireland, which is Richard O'Donoghue and Michael Collins' new party, was announced in late November, early December. And then we had uh, uh, another party whose name eludes me now, another minority party, I mm -hmm. suppose. Uh, but there are a huge plethora of parties. They will be targeting the local elections, and the Farmers Alliance will certainly be targeting the local elections as a launch pad. So we have uh, that, I suppose, as the testing ground, and the European elections where we often see bolters. Mick Wallace was elected for the Ireland South region last time. <clears throat> Mick will be standing again, but we know Deirdre Clune is not standing. We, Sinn Féin don't have a seat in the Ireland South constituency at the moment. Uh, they will certainly be targeting at least one seat out of five. Leash and Offaly have been transferred up into the Midlands North and West constituency. And that's gained a seat, so it now becomes a five-seater. You would think Fine Gael's two seats would be relatively safe in that regard. If they were able to win two out of four last time, two out of five should not be a difficulty this time. But they've lost the vote machine that is Mairead McGuinness, who is now our commissioner. Colin Markey stepped in for her, unproven at electoral level beyond local elections, as is Chris McManus, who stepped in for McCarthy after the 2020 general election. Uh, he's the Sinn Féin MEP in the Northwest. We know that Barry Cowan and Lisa Chambers will be a very strong team for Fianna Fáil, who have no uh, MEP in that constituency. So huge battleground. And, and will, will a bolter emerge? We saw TJ Maher in the, uh, representing Munster for 15 years in the Parliament mm -hmm. as a farmer's candidate. Uh, will one emerge this time from within Irish farming? Very possibly. And then in the autumn, I think it's inevitable we'll have a general election in the autumn. You're quite correct. It could be early 2025 before we see a general election. <clears throat> but 
it's very likely that the government will go to the polls later this year. My own personal prediction is that it will be in uh, following a, a budget around ploughing time. We'll have an October election. And the reason I think we won't go into November is that winter elections are annoying for people. And if you're the government parties who get to pick the date of the election, you don't want an, an angry public. And there, there are plenty of things that the public are not happy about. And the, the election date is, is one of the easier controlled ones. Uh, but the other reason is that the UK's general election is expected in November and the US presidential election is in November. November. <laughs> pardon me, November. So it's a very crowded pitch, pardon the cough now, touch at the times, but it's a very crowded pitch and there could be sort of anti-authoritarianism, anti-government feelings. The general expectation is that the Tory government will be put into the opposition benches very comprehensively at that election. So the government may not want that kind of outgoing tide in the media <clears throat> when they go to the country. So we're looking at a general election with those radically new constituencies in the wake of the local and European elections, which may see new uh, parties emerging as real electoral threats, which may see uh, momentum shift one way or the other. Will Sinn Féin turn their opinion poll numbers into seats in, on local authorities and in Europe, which would, I suppose, provide a launch pad for them to go into government. So an awful lot to play for this year. The skirmishing has started, team, um, I suppose, um, mm -hmm. candidates are being selected and campaigning will start very soon. And of course, we have within farming a new IFA leadership team, a new C ICMSA president, a new ICSA president in the rotating presidency. Uh, Sean Gallagher has taken mm -hmm. over from Dermot Kennedy. So <clears throat> a very changed picture there and uh, the interaction between farming leaders and and government and prospective uh, governments will, will be interesting, especially in the wake of what's going on in Germany. Will that catch fire? Uh, will farmer protests against government? And it now has turned into that in Germany. The mm -hmm. huge uh, tractor cage which has gone to Berlin are now saying that the government must go. So that, you know, is, is that going to be a dynamic this year? I'm afraid of more questions than answers, Jim, but we won't have that long to wait to uh, to see the answers emerge because the elections will all be taking place within months. I know we're recording this on Monday, and if you look at uh, any social media today, you see so many German tractors on autobans. It's unbelievable. Uh, one doesn't think that there's that many tractors around, uh, and that's very significant that you mentioned it. But there's also, I'd like to ask you, Pat, uh, you know, do you think that this new Farmers' Party will have an impact, particularly for, we'd say, a Dáil election? I don't know, mm. and I'm not being evasive when I say I that, know, because yeah. I've attended two of the Farmers' Alliance public meetings, and they have a very particular view of the world. It's not just about farming. <clears throat> There's a broad worldview, uh, a lot of talk about globalist organizations such as the United Nations, the European Union at these meetings and not that many farmers at the meetings. It's a fledging organization. Will it expand? Will it harden its farming policies, which I suppose are looking for pushback against what could be broadly called the green agenda? That sounds very similar to what a lot of farmers are saying. Francie Gorman, the new IFA president, was making noises around. <clears throat> I'm sorry, not making noises, straight out saying that uh, farmers are not opposed to 
uh, environmental protection. In fact, they're fully in favour of environmental protection, but they have to run their businesses and they can't afford to go broke. And it's the combination of legislative changes that are a pincer movement on productivity in farming and profitability in farming. So there has to be sustainability in that regard. The rubber will hit the road when these elections start. We saw, I suppose, you know, we saw the emergence of beef plan as a phenomenon with huge numbers going to meetings and then the, the big blockades and protests. And the beef plan still exists. There's been a split. There's now the IBLA, the Irish Beef and Lamb Association, which has come out of, of beef plan yeah. as well. But they are very fringe organisations at this stage. They didn't kick on from 2019. <clears throat> They're very much on the uh, on the back burner. So the Farmers Alliance may have their... Uh, they may emerge at the right time with these elections coming. They are avowedly going to field candidates. They are a political organisation representing farmers. That makes them different uh, to previous organisations, which have been farmer representative organisations. But Independent Ireland already have two TDs in Michael Collins and Richard O'Donoghue, poll toppers. And it will be interesting to see who they attract. Will they get other independents? There are currently 20 one or two independents in the doll, and uh, most of them are identifiably rural independents. So there's the possibility that the likes of Matty McGrath or Michael Fitzmaurice could come in under sort of this pan um, party agenda. It, it, it's kind of a loose affiliation more than a party, and that could be the significant rural push uh, electorally. We'll just, again, I, I'm afraid we'll have to wait and see. But what would be very important is that the Farmers Alliance come up with candidates who have a profile. Helen O'Mahony is running, we know, in West Cork, I think in the Bantry electoral area, mm -hmm. and she has been quite well known around the country since she emerged as one of the leaders of the beef plant protests mm -hmm. in Bandon in 2019. So people like that may give a, a better chance to the Farmers Alliance. Okay, well, look, as you quite rightly said, we're not going to solve it today. But let's hope that we will be talking quite a bit, the two of us, during the coming year. And we'll see how some of this will pan out. And I suppose the local elections are the first bit that we're going to see. So look, at Pat, thanks very much for joining us, as always. That listeners was Pat O'Toole, who is the political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Norma Rohan from Embrace Farm and they have an event coming up on the last Wednesday of the month, that is the 31st, and it is Wear Your Wellies and Norma is going to tell me all about it. Good morning Norma and thanks very much for joining us. Well, Jim, it's lovely to be back with you again uh, as we hit off in a in a new year. Okay, and I suppose I better say Happy New Year to you and to all the team at Embrace Farm. Yes, yeah, um, yes, we're set, setting off on, on, on a new year is right, uh, and I guess for most charities that brings uh, plenty of challenges with it. Always looking for new and novel ways of trying to raise money to keep mm. the charity and the services that we provide going. So, which leads me nicely into uh, where are weddings? Right. So, on January the 31st, um, Wednesday, the last Wednesday of this month, um, we're just asking people to kind of walk in the footsteps of the bereaved families that are already with us, you know, by wearing their wellies. Um, and you know, maybe going on social media and taking a picture of that and making a donation to us. 
right. That's okay. the general concept. Okay. Who came up with this novel idea? So I guess all of last year we were doing a lot of thinking about we wanted something that would resonate with the farming community and outside the farming community, you know, about just a, a lot of the work that we do and when we come on the radio or wherever we speak about Embrace Farm, we can talk, uh, we talk a lot about death and mm-hmm. hard things and awful things that happen to farm families. You know, so we were trying to look at a way that might just bring a little bit of light, a little bit of hope um, to, to the work that we do. So we thought this uh, wearing your wellies day um, might be a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of light, a little bit of hope. We had our my own kids here last week taking a few pictures and they had some great fun, you know, wearing their wellies with their friends, trying to take a few pictures. But mm-hmm. in the background of taking the pictures, was um, a tree we had planted for Brian's dad, for their grandfather. Yeah. Um, you know, so that reminder is always there with us of, um, you know, the hard times and the tough things that we go through as farm families. But at the same time, we, we need to kind of have a bit of lightness in our life and a little bit of hope. And, and maybe sometimes the good and the bad can go side by side. Right. OK. And of course, where wellies definitely uh, signifies that a person is alive and well and able to walk. And I like that phrase that you had walking in the footsteps of somebody who has uh, passed away because of a farm accident. I think that's a lovely phrase. and You should use it an awful lot more because I suppose we all walk in the footsteps of people who lost their lives on farms. We do. Uh, and, you know, and we remember all types of sudden deaths mm-hmm. now in Embrace Farm. But one of the prayers that we speak about at our annual Remembrance Service every June is about remembering all of those great farmers who have gone before us and how they were our greatest teachers. Uh, and then all of our listeners, I'm sure, could think uh, of a, a neighbouring farmer in their area or locality very wise words to to share and you know you'd always think back when maybe certain things or events happen in your locality of that wise person and the things that they had to say so this is a, what wearing our wellies is about it's really it's really what embrace farm is always always about is remembering those who have gone before us um and when they have gone in sudden circumstances, it is so tough for the family left behind. These farmers that are gone before us, you know, they, they are a great asset to our communities. And even for those people that are there that don't work or live on farms, you know, you're eating every day because of the farmer. So we'd like everybody, uh, farming and non-farming people, to, to get involved in wearing our wellies day, you know, to donate, text donate um, the word farm to... 5300 costs four euros, three euros and 60 cents of that comes straight to us. So it's just most charities are always on the lookout um, for or for a few euros to help help keep the lights on, as they say. Uh, and we'd be delighted for anyone to support us with our Welly Day on Wednesday, the 31st of January. OK, and in general, then, how is Embrace Farm getting on? So, yeah, we like over the last 18 months, we got great support from the Department of Agriculture um, through an EIP project they were running. That funding has now ended. Um, they have given us some funding to help us through 2024. And we do have a lot of great community fundraisers as well. But, you know, we're always on the lookout for a few bob, unfortunately, to be able to provide the services uh, that we do. Uh, and those are our annual remembrance service. 
We also provide weekends for uh, families with young children where, where dad has died in, in sudden circumstances, be that a farm accident or a suicide or a sudden medical event. We also have a weekend for widows um, whose spouse has died in sudden circumstances. We also have uh, support groups for um, survivors of accidents mm -hmm. who are trying to live with life-altering injuries. And then we have our in-circle programme where we provide um, a lot of emotional practical support tailored to, to the family should they need them, whether that be um, some help with some counselling or whether it would be some independent information around succession or legal or financial aspects of what is going on in the farm business now. The having to raise money constantly is something that is probably very time consuming for yourself and the team. And it's an awful pity that government doesn't come to your help in more ways than they do currently. Yeah, I guess every charity faces that, you mm -hmm. know, that, that aspect of things, raising money and uh, complying with legislation and regulation and all of those things. Uh, while they are time consuming uh, and do take up an awful lot of our time, they're very important as well, you know, uh, uh, raising money and doing it correctly uh, and providing services and doing that correctly are, are very important to any legitimate charity out there that things are done right and correctly. In fairness to the Department of Agriculture, they have been a great support to us. But again, there's always different things that we would like to do and more that we would like to do. And yeah, all those things cost money, I'm afraid. Mm. Yeah, you always anyway, particularly over the last maybe four to five years, you seem to be adding something new to what you can do for people, whether it's a, a sudden death, a suicide or a farm accident. So. And again, every time you add something, you need more money. Yeah, and I guess by adding things, that's by listening to the people who come uh, mm -hmm. and avail of our services. And, you know, and listening to them and what, and what the farm families and what they need, you know, whether it be that weekend to connect with other families or the remembrance service where you can come and remember your loved one or where you need that actual practical um, support um, and consultation and information whatever that may be, and each family is unique in what they need um, because we're all different people and we all have a different set of circumstances. So, yeah, I suppose it's good to be able to say that we can keep adding to our services yeah. and that's a really good thing, isn't it? And we're growing as well with that. But, yeah, it just it takes a lot of time and uh, energy to make sure that we comply with legislation and the different regulators that are out there for the charity sector. Um, that is one thing that we would really pride ourselves in Embrace Farm by doing things correctly to the best of our knowledge. And there's great supports out there too for the charity sector to help you do those things. But yeah, like every other charity, um, we're always looking on looking for a couple of extra euros. So this is going to be one of our main and national fundraisers every year, hopefully going forward. Right. On the last Wednesday of January, and um, this year's the 31st of January. So what we're asking people to do is to wear your wellies in um, acknowledgement and remembrance of all those great farmers who have gone before us. And we just ask you maybe to walk in their footsteps for a day uh, and uh, make a donation to us uh, on their behalf. And before I let you go, which is very important, would you ever tell us how they make a donation so that everybody listening to us this morning will uh, know what they should do? And in particular, it just isn't farmers that can support you, 
but yeah. anybody can support uh, the charity because I'd say everybody listening to this program this morning will know somebody who has died as a result of a farm accident. Yeah, or a farmer in their locality as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all sit at our kitchen table and we eat dinner mm-hmm. and breakfast and supper every day. So we're all eating the produce that the farmers produce every day. But how to get involved, I guess, go on our social media page, go on our website. You can do this as an individual. You can make an individual donation and we have an I donate page or you can text donate um, farm to 5300. Or you can do this as a group in your school, in your workplace, in your community. Um, lots of different options there. Um, the best thing is just go on our social media, on our Facebook page, or on our website, embracefarm.com, and you'll be directed to all the different pieces that will help you get started. Okay, well, look at Norma. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. That listener was Norma Rowan from Embrace Farm, telling us all about where your well is on the last Wednesday of the month, which is the 31st. And so please do that and please donate. Listeners, there's something happening in Thurlis in Friar Street. And a lot of you will know uh, the Green Sheep Cafe and where they have beautiful temporary food can be had whenever you want it. But the proprietors of it have a novel idea for the next 10 weeks, I believe, And that is the artist in a shop window. And with me to tell me all about it, I have Lucy Lamb. Lucy. Thank you very much. You're very welcome here. Now, I'm here because this is a very novel idea in a food premises, and we talk a lot about food on Tip FM. Is this a double-forked event in the sense that having people performing art, whatever type of art it is, in the uh, in the shop window, does it attract customers into this lovely restaurant? I I think yes, it is a, a double edged fork, if you like. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's not actually in the shop; it's in a room adjacent to the shop. And um, what I've done is for the next probably three months, I've invited a lot of artists in to do four, five, six days of um, showing their practice and, and doing their art. And the whole thing is that they, they can engage with people or people can just look at them through the window, hence an artist in the shop window. And it's just lovely to get people down this end of town for something else. Um, and there'll be exhibitions. There's, there's a lot of artists coming in. There's printers, there's textile artists, there's performance artists, painters sculptors all sorts and we have exhibitions um the cbs thurlis will be doing an exhibition in the space as well later on in the year so yeah it's just arching up our end of friar street how did you come up with the idea Um, where did it come from it came to me in the middle of the night and I, i love the idea of bringing art out onto the street it's the easiest way of bringing art out onto the street is to open up a big window and have somebody practising their art, going through their process, and you can watch through a big window. Nothing is hidden. You can watch them from start to finish. Now, obviously, you can't bring the artist down the street because they're going to get cold. So, uh, yeah, so you can come in and engage with the artist. You can come in and have a cup of coffee. You can grab something to eat. You can go back to the artist. When we have the exhibitions on, 
will both premises will be open. So it's the Green Sheep Studio next door to the mm-hmm. Green Sheep Cafe. Right, okay. So it started off this week mm-hmm. on, on Tuesday, and uh, you say roughly three months, that's yeah. about ten weeks, mm-hmm. it's going to run, and they're going to have a different artist every single week between now and yeah. the time at which we close it up. Um, and we're, um, we have poetry evenings, so we have a lady called Fiona Bolger, and she'll be facilitating a plurilingual poetry workshop, which means that there'll be all the, the world words, if you like, being used within the poetry workshop. So we can have English, Irish, Polish, Arabic, Spanish, Ukrainian, Farsi, Swahili, etc. Um, on the 24th of February, there'll be a workshop where we'll all get together um, and we'll work out the poetry. And then on the 29th, um, there's going to be a poetry evening and it'll be split between the studio and the cafe. So there's other things as well as your painting and sculpture. Um, There's poetry, there's performance, there's all the arts, I hope. All the arts, Mm. okay. Now, what time does it open normally? Knowing artists, they don't... Uh, they can be a little bit eccentric about what time they might start. But what hours are you hoping that artists will be here? I'm hoping it's going to be from 11 until 3. Um, There are some artists that would prefer to do evenings, so there there will be evening sessions as well. But I'm hoping 11 till 3. I would imagine the evening sessions wouldn't get the same footfall. They won't get the same footfall, but they're going to be probably more one-off performances so they're going to be a little bit more exciting and if you miss it you've missed it so it'll be it'll be a performance that you'll want to come and see what we didn't say at the beginning apart from being an artist as far as preparing food for people are concerned you practice a little bit of art yourself as well i do i'm a sculpture and combined meteor artist um so I do a bit of everything. I do moving image. I do uh, sculpture. Um, I do performance. One of the performances that will be happening in the Green Sheep studio will actually be one, be one of my performances. So I'm involved in that side of things too, as well as curating and facilitating the whole venture. And in your own performances, uh, is it all your own work? Do you pick a theme design a performance around it or build a performance around it and then put it out to the public oh absolutely yeah, yeah. it's 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 all me i'll have thought about it before um worked out roughly what i'm going to do and then it can all change it's most of them are interactive so if the audience changes or something happens then my performance obviously changes as well you have a painter in this week. What's coming next week? Next week Which is... Which is when, uh, before this program will have gone out before next week starts. I have um, a, uh, a lady called Kira, and she's a textile artist. So she'll be coming in, and she works with wool, and she works in sculpture. Mm-hmm. So this week is Mary Finn, local celebrity artist, and she's an oil painter. And so next week will be something completely different and that's textile sculpture. Will you be able to let people know in advance yes. as to who will be performing mm-hmm. next week? We're, after, we're looking after yeah. uh, the week coming. Uh, 
you have a way of letting people know. I do. Apart from those of us who pass the window, whether <laughs> uh, we're shopping or whatever the case may be. We are all over Instagram. Right. And Facebook. So um, it's the Lucy Lamb Artist Facebook uh, Instagram page. It's the Green Sheep Facebook, and it's also the Green Sheep Thurlis on Instagram. So you can just have a look on there, and it'll tell you exactly what's going to happen over the next few days. And then coming to if the whole thing was a success, hmm. can you see this being repeated again and again? Oh, absolutely. I think um, I think it's going to be a success, judging by the amount of people that we've had today. And yeah, it's a, it's a it's a lovely space. It's a very intimate space, but it's plenty big enough to hold exhibitions for artists as well. Mm-hmm. So it it's probably going to be a bit of a gallery. It's going to be a performance space. It's going to be a studio. Um, so it'll change over time and change back. Uh, so yeah, I think I think this could be a continuous thing. I've planned for three months, but coming into the spring and summer, there's no reason why it shouldn't carry on. Right, you said the, the space is intimate and small, mm-hmm. and I see Mary is painting a very large painting inside, mm-hmm. and it's able to accommodate that. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's plenty big enough. Mm-hmm. She's painting. I think it's one twenty by ninety, um, which is a very very big painting. And she had six people in there chatting away to her while she was painting. And this is what you hope happens with yeah. the majority of your artists that people will just walk in uh, instead of turning left into the cafe, they go to the artist. But you'd hope when they're coming out, they walk straight through into the. Uh, this lovely cafe. Absolutely. I think, you know, grab a coffee, go and speak to the artist or speak to the artist and then grab a coffee. Yeah, it's perfect. Art and coffee go so well together. Well, Lucy, I wish you every success with the next three months and I sincerely hope that the whole thing really works out for you because uh, Thurlis needs something like this. They yeah. need they need to be able to uh, show the arts to the people of Thurlis. So let's hope that this venture of yours is an outstanding success. Thank you so much. That listeners was Lucy Lamb, an artist. And if you're in Thurlis over the next three months, why not drop in, have a chat with the artist, and don't forget to drop in to Lucy and have a cup of coffee at least. That, listeners, is Ag Report for this week. I hope you enjoy the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way.